Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in to your favorite film podcast. We're happy to have you. We love the ears. So, guess what? We're on the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find other great shows on there. And I do believe you should check them out. Give us a great review on Apple Podcasts and all that jazz. Today, we have an interview with filmmaker Alexander Jorgensen. And we're going to get to that interview right now. So here we are with the interview. I'm here with Alexander Jorgensen, a person I've known for quite a long time. Hello, Alexander. Hello, Christopher Jason Bell. How you doing? Good. I'm going to call you... Was it 2013 or so? 2013 we met, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something similar. Yeah, videology. Yeah, RIP and peace. RIP. Have you been to the comedy club that they opened up in the same space? No. No, I haven't either. Yeah. Seems like a good use of that room. Yeah, it's probably... uh, You know, I walk by it and it's always packed out, so... Yeah. It's kind of one of the reasons I haven't been in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Everything must die, you know? Yeah. And on that note... Yes. Um, So we'll start out, we'll go back to your primordial stages. All right. How did you get started in film? Or even going back further, did you see something, a movie, that you were like, this is what I got to do? Yeah, I think when I was a teenager, uh, I saw a lot of movies. I think A Clockwork Orange was the first one where I kind of like twigged onto it. That I was like, oh, okay, this is uh, an interesting art form. And I feel like people can kind of do a lot of interesting things with it that can like make an impact in like, you know, just a couple of hours. So after that, I started becoming like the video store kid who would like, you know, rent as many movies as possible at the time and like got into it. And then I'm from Montreal originally. So, uh, the education system there has like a pre-college called Sejep. And so when I got out of high school and I went to Sejep, I did a cinema and communications degree and kind of bought a camera and was making my own stuff. And then I followed that through to university and then I, you know, eventually ended up becoming like a freelance videographer, editor while making my own stuff and kind of went from there. So it's been, you know, more than half my life where I've been like thinking about this or working at it towards some respect while like, you know, also doing other things. Yeah, the love comes and goes. It's usually dependent on which stage of filmmaking I'm on. And my favorite one is always the one that I'm not on at the moment. It's a, it's a weird compulsion that we all have. I find myself having to ask what I want out of uh, doing any of this. Like, what do you actually want? How much of it is fantasy? Like, you and I are never going to be like, 
oh, uh, what does Cronenberg think about, like, this thing? Like, I don't know if, like, any of us are ever going to be in that position. And it's like... Well, I mean, you can put yourself in that position, like, especially with social media. Like, the the age of, like, being asked for opinions is pretty much done. You just have to offer them up yourself. Uh, and the hottest takes rise to the, rise to the top. Um, but I don't know. I think you have to, like, be pragmatic about what you have available versus like what you want so i mean you're at a you're at a point in like the history of the technology of filmmaking where it's like you know we can all do this for the rest of our lives regardless of funding or anything else like that so i think it's just a matter of like knowing what you want to work on and like working towards that and if you, you know you want to do like bigger and more like expensive things um you know it's just a matter of like getting together the funds for, I don't know. It's like the whole system has been so decentralized over, like it's still Hollywood is still big and like the larger budget things are still dominant. It's just like the bottom has kind of been like ripped out of it. So now you can kind of do whatever you want always. And your only limit is like your own tenacity and your funding. But you know, you can make something interesting for $0. So, I mean, there's certainly a lot of YouTubers that like do that. So you know, kind of related to your film and we'll get there, but like, have you spent a lot of time on YouTube? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you want to mean by like a lot of time, like certainly making this film, I dove pretty deep into some weird corners of YouTube before they started instrumenting like a lot of their current, I guess, I don't know if you want to call them safeguards or what, but, uh, it was definitely more of the wild west when I started this and like around the time that they had the algorithm, uh, dedicated to user retention. Like, that was kind of the time when it would start to, like, promote a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, like, conspiracy-based or um, politically angering material just because it was what would retain you on the site the longest. Like, it was like a machine learning thing that was kind of operating uh, amorally as well as, like, apolitically. It was just, like, what works and what works to keep people there is like rage bait i guess um but yeah i've been on youtube i you know figured it out in the first year that it was around i think it got pretty popular pretty fast but i never i don't like contribute to youtube really like i haven't you know like the sort of youtube video that exists as like an idea like i've never really made any of those so um and now it's, like, this whole other thing where you get YouTubers that are kind of, like... I think the the primary, like, factor that determines your survivability as a YouTuber or, like, a successful YouTuber is, like, self-promotion. And, like, you know, if you want to do, like, the medium is the message kind of thing for that, like, if you look at some YouTubers, like, their ability to promote themselves is, like, their main... Like, that's all you get. Um, so I lack that gene, so I haven't really gotten on board. I mean, there's some people doing interesting things, but I haven't, like, participated in YouTube greatly besides admiring it as, like, a weird archive of all of humanity. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel like I've come to this thought probably late, although I feel like nobody's really talking about it, and we're talking about it now. I know I could talk to you about it, but it's like... We ignore YouTube at our own peril as filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think YouTube is viable 
for the sort of filmmaking that we specifically are into, I guess. Like, I mean, I think anything can work on there given, you know, the opportunity to find the right audience. But I think, like, the sort of... And I guess I shouldn't uh, shit on it too hard because YouTube is pretty good for documentaries. I find documentaries will get watched on YouTube more, more, more readily than, like, narrative stuff, certainly. Like, I think documentary does a bit better on the internet. Because the internet, you know, for all of the mistruths and stuff on it, it's kind of like a fact-based thing. Like, you kind of go on it to read about stuff and get the news and things like that. Um, but it's not really, like... The internet isn't as much for, like, stories or, like, media. I mean, like, fictional stories. Like, it's not a f- place for, like, deliberate fiction. Like, I think the streaming services finally, like, got onto that when, like, Netflix got popular. And that was kind of, like, the internet solution to that format of media. But YouTube doesn't really... Like, who watches web series that aren't, like, comedies or docs? Like, almost nobody. So... I mean, I feel that way, too. <laughs> like, I don't know... Uh... We would have to look into that, like numbers yeah. wise and stuff. And I don't feel like doing that. Um, yeah, I know. You know no, the no, no googling. Yeah, gotta go with your gut. The retort is like, is anything on Netflix a web series? And but I know what you mean. It's like, uh, yeah, but I, we were speaking specifically about YouTube and how YouTube doesn't work. Like Netflix works in a different way, and it's better for like you know TV series and other forms of like fiction. I mean, Netflix has their own documentary like system, and I think they're doing a pretty good job with it. But I think just talking about, like, what works on YouTube, like, it's, like, quick stuff, self-promotion, and, like, reposted content from elsewhere. Like, there isn't, like, an original narrative content on YouTube. Like, I guess YouTube isn't good for, like, thoughtful stuff and drama because, like, people don't... I mean, I'm sure people, like, go to watch movies on YouTube if there's, like, a rip or a pirated version of it. But it's not, like, that's not the destination. Like, the des like, I don't know. Also, like, there's no limit to, like, the ways that you can use YouTube. It's just, it seems like that's the general, you know, what seems to float to the top. It's like people want to connect to a personality or a brand. Why have documentaries flourished on YouTube or even streaming? Well, I think they're, I think this is, like, a good age if you want to be, like, a technological materialist for it because like the like capacity to make a documentary is easier now than ever before um and like the price point is kind of like lower and it's also like a more i guess like an enjoyable format for a lot of people to like get information if you're treating a documentary as like a way to get information about something as opposed to like you know a film or a piece of art um so you know, people will have that, like, I don't really know anything about this subject kind of thing, so they'll look to a documentary to, like, get a primer on it. I don't, I I always think that, like, documentaries aren't quite going to be, like, as popular as, like, the narrative stuff that, like, has more money and stuff thrown into it to make it, like, pretty entertaining, but it's, like, ascended pretty heavily to be, like, a secondary, like, the kind of second most popular thing, if that makes any sense. I also think, for the most part, documentaries are able to get people via their subject alone. And sometimes the subject's good enough that it could be like, oh, this documentary is like made like dog shit, but it's so entertaining because it's like, 
the subject's good, the interview's good, you know, stuff like that. Um, The aesthetic approach doesn't really have to be at all enticing. Documentary kind of is strong in that. Yeah, there's an ambivalence towards documentary aesthetics that... It's it's a pretty utilitarian art form for the most part. And I think people look at it like that, which is one of the reasons it's like able to succeed pretty well in like the YouTube era. But also like as an art form, like it kind of gets repetitive and like boring and I feel like the things that succeed well are not usually the things that I find super interesting. Like there's very I mean, you get a few every year where there's like actually a decent like formal element to it or people are doing something interesting like you get something like leviathan or like hale county uh where it's actually like pretty aesthetically like inventive and engaging but most of it's just kind of like you know talk to the camera music emotional beats this is what you should think i guess to go back to the whole um youtube thing i wish there was avenues for something more narrative or art house like i don't want to seed that ground because well i think that's what vimeo is for but i think it's less popular because of like the economic and like social conditions around it in that like you know you're already vying for because like with a, a a movie you've got like a trailer and there's like the idea of the movie behind it but like with like a simple thing like a web series or something like that like you're not gonna Like, I guess you're going based on, like, the popularity of the people involved and, like, the subject matter. But a lot of the times, it's, like, it's either very cheaply done, which, you know, because sometimes you gotta, or, like... And, I, I mean, because it's kind of cheap, it's, like, it's a good place for filmmakers to hone their, like, narrative chops, but also, like, a lot of times the product is pretty rough, um, so, like, narrative, narrative, like, I, I think if you were, like, the worst thing you could possibly make is probably, like, a dramatic YouTube series, like, just in terms of, like, not getting any sort of return on, like, what you put into it, but yeah, I don't, I, I think, like, Vimeo might be, like, the closer thing to, like, your, I know, it's weird, they've got, like, different audiences, well, I wonder how many people are actually on Vimeo in the same way that they're on YouTube. Like, you don't hang out on Vimeo. Like, you go to Vimeo to, like, watch things or, like, check something out that you heard about. Um, but, like, you don't hang out there like YouTube. Like, there isn't a recommendation algorithm that, like, works the same way. Or, like, you know, they don't have gaming videos and they don't have, like, Let's Plays and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's better for, like, the creator because it's, like, a nicer space, but it also, like is missing the audience, which is, like, I guess the main thing you should care about as a creator, so. Well, I wish there were more dedicated platforms outside of Vimeo that would be, like, reviewing stuff or or whatever. In the way that we go to find movies, we'll read a review, like, oh, do I want to see that, you know? I wish there was more like that. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, you're also, like, competing against volume, so I think the best thing you can usually hope for with those is, like, a, a brief spike in popularity, followed by, like, maybe finding an audience, but then, like, the tide pulls back again, so. Well, that's the internet. Yeah. So, you talked earlier about working in film, and uh, I know you've done a bunch of different things, like you've directed your own movies, you've shot 
other people's movies, you've edited other things, you've done technical stuff for like reality TV? Uh, yeah, basically I got, when I got to New York and I was like looking for work to start off, I was like going for like the direct, director, like the kind of one man band thing. So I would alternatingly get hired as a director, a shooter or an editor. Um, as the years progressed, um, so I did a lot of music videos when I first got here cause they were like kind of fun and they like let you experiment uh, aesthetically. So that was kind of what I was like looking for as a thing to like, you know, work on my chops and also like do like short things and like kind of try a lot of stuff, which was useful. Um, the only problem with that is like, then you got to get paid by musicians and that's a very difficult thing. So eventually I had to stop doing that and I kind of moved more in towards the commercial world. So I did a lot of like corporate video, um, for a couple different production companies, uh, you know, groups that would do like a lot of fashion stuff, which has a big video need. So it was like fashion, corporate events, like award shows, um, you know, commercial things. And then, uh, after that, I mean, it, it became kind of clear that like, that's sort of a career path in and of itself that some people in New York can make a lot of money on. Um, I was not specifically one of those people, but, um, you know, if you run like your own production company like that, you can make good money. Um, and I didn't have the best like client forward capacity as like a person getting his own work, I guess. So I worked for them and then like, I kind of moved into doing like, stuff on reality TV. So I alternated, I was a camera, op I still did the same thing. I was a camera operator. Uh, I would work as a digital imaging technician a lot because, uh, I'm, how do I put this? I guess, uh, personality bent towards that position. Like it's a good position if you want to be on set and not deal with other people's stress. Um, so I worked on a lot of TV shows like that. I did some ghost hunting shows, some reality comedy stuff. Um, and then I've also done a lot of work as an editor and I guess lately, uh, my work for hire has mostly been editing, but, uh, yeah, I was doing all that while I was working on this film cause it took a while and, you know, if you don't have a huge budget, like you're kind of self-funding everything based on like the other work that you do. So the reality shows were good for, you know, that cause they last a long time and it's a decent day rate most of the time. Do you think any of that stuff, like outside of your own, uh, personal projects kind of changed the way you operate and like made films even artistically um i mean you learn a lot from working with other people and certainly like if you're doing reality tv and you're doing documentary stuff like you do learn a lot of like both tips and tricks and like also things that you don't specifically want to ever do like aesthetically um because there's always like a mix between like i think with reality tv the idea is that like you're following a thing and you need stuff to happen and you need it to be exciting and you need to, like, make drama be a thing. Um, you know, if you're doing the, I don't know, the Real Housewives or Jersey Shore style reality TV show. I also worked on, like, ghost hunting shows, which have, like, a pretty set, like, format where it'll be, like, go into the house, you're there for the week. Like, and the format is kind of like, okay, you explore, you do all this stuff, uh... 
So it's like, I guess the thing with like, the reality TV shows is like you're dealing with like an aesthetic that you constantly repeat. Um, but I mean, like the people that work in reality TV, like the editors have a big, um, like the editor really makes the show and the DP is kind of like responsible for just collecting as much stuff as humanly possible quickly and like getting it so like that element of it is like useful to know um but like in terms of like the product that's turned out like i don't really have a specific interest in like the sort of um grabby person i don't i don't know i don't really know how to describe it but you know you know what reality tv is so i've had more i've had less interesting jobs so did you ever get spooked on that ghost show uh, a little less with every episode. Um, like the first one is obviously kind of scary. And then like after that, like it's more just like, okay, I'm at work. Although I did have the overnight shift. So it was me alone up at night. A lot of the time, like after the hosts were like sleeping for a few hours and I like had my like bit of work to do before I had to like shoot the sunrise time lapses. So, you know, you get to, uh, spend time with your own thoughts in a dank, empty house. It's always fun for like a big mental asylum. I actually was working on this film when I was, uh, working on it. So I did end up spending a little bit of like overnights, like editing on this project while in a haunted house. So if you want to really like question the choices in your life that brought you somewhere, I highly recommend editing a conspiracy documentary in a haunted house late at night. Yeah. Maybe, Hopefully the ghosts got in the film. All right, so why don't we move on to your first feature film? All right. It is called Truther, or I Am Not a Conspiracy conspiracy Theorist. That's right. Yeah, going for uh, both markets, as well as eliminating any sense of audience goodwill towards the film by giving it a mouthful of a title. What is this movie about, and why did you do it? Uh, It's about truthers or people who aren't conspiracy theorists and uh i guess the way that i got into it is uh it was pretty natural like i saw the people who would be like handing out flyers at the world trade center uh this was a couple years after i'd been living in new york so i guess this was around like 2014 because that's when i started shooting and i like was down around there and i would see people like handing out like you know conspiracy literature here and there uh, and so one of the times that I was there, it was like pretty early in September and I was like, Oh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more of these people here, uh, for the anniversary, you know, like I have a film studio in my closet. I guess I can like show up and start shooting something and just see what I get. And, uh, so yeah, I got there and like part one of the film, you can kind of see that it's like, um, there are people that you like that the film kind of latches onto as the people who are there as regulars, and then there's kind of like the group of people that like the one-offs that tend to show up for a day. Uh, so I started talking to them and following them, and I was kind of like I wasn't really interested in like debating with them or you know trying to get. I guess, how should I put this? I was more interested in seeing, like, kind of what their perspective on it was like to, like, be out there and be, like, proselytizing for, like, a really 
unpopular and like pariah-ish cause. So I started filming them. And, you know, uh, the main guy is Charlie and Scott. They're there every weekend. Uh, less so now. I think one of them moved away. Um, but, like, they were kind of my through line to, like, the kind of people that show up there. And it's like a rotating cast of characters. And, you know, if you want to talk about reality TV stuff, like, you've got, you know, elements there that kind of work and that, like, you know, you can hang back and, like, they'll interact with people and sometimes they'll get along and sometimes there'll be, like, an altercation. So you don't have to, like stir anything like this is just kind of like I wanted to like kind of get what it was like to be them so I filmed that for like a year year and some change uh off and on just popping in I cut like a little segment to get uh well we'll get to that eventually um this is pre any loose change involvement in the film but yeah basically although people who go there like were pretty obviously like very like that's like one of the main catalysts like gets people down there is that documentary so you know if you think a film can't change the world there you go um but yeah i cut a little uh segment out of that into a short called uncomfortable truths and that played at a couple film festivals but i had a lot of stuff left over and like other footage that i was like interested in so i sent that to a couple other people who were like heavily involved in promoting uh 9-11 trutherism and a couple of the groups got back to me, uh, and the people that I ended up filming were, like, Dylan Avery and the people at Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, both of whom were, like, pretty popular amongst the people that would show up at the World Trade Center. Uh, I mean, there were other people that I started talking to and, like, other paths that I kind of went down, because, like, when you're making a documentary, you just kind of shoot everything until you, like, find the path that you're supposed to follow. Uh, but in the end, it was, like, those three groups that kind of became the core of it. Um... It didn't become, like, a three-parter until pretty late in the editing game. Like, it was kind of more, like, brought together. And then I was like, oh, maybe it's more interesting to, like, look at these as, like, a series of compare and contrast, like, life experiences than as, like, a kind of, like, through-line kind of thing. And I, I, it felt more, like, um, structurally sound than anything I had had going on with it beforehand. Um, yeah, so... That's uh, that's five years condensed into a couple senses. Was there any ever was there ever any uh, pushback from the subjects? Like, were they ever worried about what you were actually doing with the film? Um, not really, because I did make it pretty clear that I was mostly trying to get like their experiences down, and that I wasn't like I was mostly doing a character study. Um. So, and they had seen like the short, so they kind of knew what the style was going to be. I mean, like they definitely, I sent it to them. Kelly got back to me and said that she liked it and that she thought that they were well represented. So that was what I was going for. Um, but yeah, I also like, you know, there's so much like contradiction and, uh, argument that happens anyway that I kind of was like, I can just observe this and like kind of let it play on its own as opposed to like, you know, needing to, like, sweep in constantly and, like, you know, make a bunch of PowerPoint presentations about, like, building angles or jets and stuff, as opposed to, like, you know, this is what the reality is like on the ground for these people, which is much more what I was interested in. They were into it. I mean, I think the thing with, like, people who are in that uh, world is, like, they're fighting 
to be heard. So I think even if you get like a bad interview or like somebody who's confrontational and they're holding a mic in front of you, like you still kind of get to be heard. And in the end, it's just like a matter of kind of like, it seems like it's a matter of playing the percentages on your audience in terms of just like getting, you know, your perspective out there until you reach somebody who is going to twig onto it and like go deeper with it and like maybe come into the fold. Like, it's not like, cause like, if you look at architects and engineers for nine eleven truth, like they'll do almost any like press that they can just to like get it out there. Like it's a constant war to be in front of the mic and on camera. So, um, part of me thinks that they're kind of like used to being dismissed and like made fun of. And it kind of comes out in the film. Um, they'll also just like take media clips about them and like edit the good parts out and put that on their website. So, you know, they're used to a confrontational kind of media landscape and definitely there's a lot of people who like, you know, get off on being mean to them. So, but yeah, I think like if you're going to make an independent documentary, like dealing with subjects that really want to be filmed and speak is kind of, I mean, it's a, it's handy like, it's definitely, like, not one of the things I had to worry about while making the film. Like, I ended up cutting out a lot of people, so. One person you did not cut out was the director of Loose Change, the famous 9-11 Truther documentary. Yeah. Can you talk Tell about me, his involvement? The uh, 9-11 Truth movements, I didn't do it, boy. <laughs> uh, he kind of really is interesting. He was definitely, like, the most attitudinally... That's not a word. Um, maybe it is. Uh... Yeah, he was the most similar to me, I thought, in that, like, we're both, like, you know, mid-30s white guys that do freelance film production. It was like, oh, this guy is, like, half of my friends. He just kind of got big at a young age, kind of by accident and kind of by, like, the historical, like, landscape that he was in, just in terms of, like, when you're dealing with, like, the new technology of the internet and, like, something like 9-11 and, like, the easy availability of, like, video technology, like somebody was going to be like that was, that was like a ready fertile ground for somebody to like make something like that and like take off. Um, and yeah, it was him and his uh, two other friends who aren't really mentioned much in the film, but I mean, he was like the driving, like he's the director of the film. And yeah, I mean, he, it's interesting cause he like out of the people in my movie, he was the one that kind of like walked away from it the most and, like, kind of tried to, like, get out of it because the world was just too exhausting and, like, you have to deal with so much bullshit from people on the internet in terms of, like, you know, people calling you a secret ops agent and, like, people calling you an idiot and people, like, shitting on your film and, like, making a career out of it. And, like, so, you know, eventually he walked away. Um, but, you know, it's not like you ever, like, really get out of it if you're going to, like commit your life to this for such a long time. Like, I don't, it's hard to like commit so thoroughly to something and then actually get out of it. It seems, I don't know. What was your take on him from watching the film? Um, it was interesting. I've never actually seen loose change in its entirety. Um, but I did have friends obsessed with it. And obviously yeah, there was a lot of people when I was like in, I guess college, um, that were like all about that movie. And I think that was like a big, like college kid, like stoner movie. Um, and yeah, I mean, it did 
you know, it was like a accidental blockbuster. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, funny. It's like, where did the stoners go after waking life? They went to loose change. Like, someone did. I mean, hey, uh, Alex Jones is in waking life. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah it makes sense. The leap. Um, yeah. no, he was interesting. I mean, like, I didn't really know anything about him and just to see him just like, oh, he's just like regular. Yeah. Especially compared to the other subjects. I, you know, not to make fun of them, but there's like a clear difference between them and him. Yeah, he's more uh, generally calm, I guess, in terms of his demeanor, and he's a little less fervent, and he's a bit more like kind of aloof, which is, I guess, why he's like a filmmaker and not like a frontline activist, um, like some of the other people are. Um, yeah, his perspective was really interesting in terms of like, whether or not you can even like get out of it once you get into it. And, um, just like the disillusionment that comes with like getting into a political cause, that's going to turn you into a kind of a pariah and also like trying to deal with other people when you're trying to create great social change, but also like just constantly getting shat on by like, the establishment and other people. Although he did get, like, a lot of... Like, he got, like, a level of, like, cult popularity that, I guess, like, sticks with you for long enough. To, like, I guess it's a mix between... You know, I tried to show the good and the bad that kind of came with it, but it is kind of like a an inescapable vortex, in a sense. So, when did you know you were done shooting, or when did you decide to stop? I didn't really know that I was done shooting, and I did keep shooting, like, little things up until the end. I stopped gathering my main footage. Like, the film ends in 2016. I did shoot further into 2017, 2018, but most of the stuff that uh, I was shooting, I had gotten by, like, the end of 2016. In part because, like, I think if you're dealing with uh, the subject matter, like when I started the film, nine eleven conspiracy theories were kind of like the most popular conspiracy subject still, because I started in twenty fourteen, um, and it was like the predominant like one for a long time. And after that, you kind of had stuff like Sandy Hook and some other stuff uh, similar to that that became big. And it wasn't really until like the 2016 election that it just kind of became like the Bacchanal of competing conspiracy theories that were all vying for space in the national landscape. And it really like it, that was when it felt like the nine 11 stuff stopped being the most popular subject in that field. And now it's just kind of a free for all, especially when you've got like QAnon and Epstein and things like that, like vying for like, you know, a lot of the same people's attention, if you go onto, like, conspiracy subreddits or stuff like that, like, you're fighting for an audience share at that point. So that was kind of like, I kind of got the downswing of it being this, like, monolithic object in, like, the American mind, if that makes any sense. It's also, like, yeah, like, it's also, I think... I kind of caught, like, for a long time, 9-11 was, like, the defining event that, like, influenced American politics. Like, that era lasted until the election, and now that's the main driving element of most American politics. So, like, in that sense, like, it does become, like, JFK or something like that, where, like, the side history of it becomes an 
impossible part to extricate from, like, the actual history of it. So. And, yeah, I mean, it's like you do participate in, like, the event by doing so. Like, it's not... Like, even if you don't believe in the conspiracy theories, the conspiracy theories are part of the history of 9-11. So, and, like, they're part of the history of American political discourse, and they have an effect. Like, you can also not believe in, say, trickle-down economics or the rapture, but those things all affect American politics just as much. So, I guess how would you say the effect of the truther stuff in particular, what did that do to us? Um, I mean, I think it was part of, like, an ongoing, like, it helped popularize, like, the alternative media, to call it, like, Alex Jones and stuff like that. Like, that, like, ramping up on the government's, like, the very understandable distrust of the American government following their reaction to 9-11, like, you get a lot of disillusioned people who are, like, willing to look at, like, how the United States acted afterwards and be like, oh, well, if they're going to act like this in relation to this event, like, if you're doing, you know, key bono, like, if they benefited, didn't they also cause it? So that becomes a big part of, like, the discourse and, like, a kind of, like, general distrust of, like, the American establishment kind of comes through that. And, you know, there's plenty of reasons to, like, be very upset with America for how they reacted with at 9-11. So, like, feeding off of that, like, it kind of popularized... It felt like it popularized this kind of, like, growing uh, side channel of, like, American discourse that, like, the internet facilitates. And and the reception of this movie, can you talk about that now that it's out in the world? I mean, it hasn't had a very big reception yet. Like, it kind of, like... It's on Amazon Prime right now if you're in the United States or the United Kingdom, and it's on Vimeo On Demand if you're anywhere else or you just hate Jeff Bezos. Um, and, yeah, you know, the, the response has been, like, kind of slow-going and... Uh, mostly positive. I think the people who like watch it come out kind of getting a good feel for like what it's like for the people in it, regardless of whether or not they agree with them. Um, did I send you that YouTuber thing? So, uh, yeah, one of the people who gets name dropped in the film, uh, his name is Miles Power and he's what, uh, 9-11 truthers will call a debunker, which is somebody who like, you know, goes through everything and picks apart arguments and he's got kind of a, uh, a social media following on YouTube because I mean, that's the kind of like niche stuff that you can do as a YouTuber. Um, but anyway, my, I, uh, while I was doing the legal clearances for my film, there's a scene where Charlie talks about being filmed by him and how incensed he is by it. And my lawyer was basically like, uh, yeah, you need to cut that out or you need to get this guy to sign a waiver. And I was like, Oh, okay. So, uh, I'll email him. Uh, so yeah, I sent him the film and he was cool with being, uh, shown, that way or being name dropped, I guess, and signed a waiver in exchange for being able to make a video or I guess he could have made the video anyway. Um, but yeah, he liked it and his group is kind of like driving the UK's audience and I'm still waiting for like people who are more into like the conspiracy side of things to like find it as much. But in general, like I guess the has been, I guess the response has been generally positive, if not very big, I guess. So yeah. I haven't really started advertising it either. I've been like looking for agencies to push it online and stuff like that, but you know, it's all new to me and I'm not, 
uh, promotionally minded person, which is why I'm making documentaries instead of YouTube videos. So I've got to figure that part out at this point. Have you dropped the link in like certain subreddits and stuff? Yeah, I posted it on Reddit once and it did okay. Uh, I should do more and I should also put like a series of clips up on YouTube in order to like promote those. I have some friends that have made documentaries that have done well uh, in terms of like getting audiences through internet advertising. It's just that I've kind of been like learning how to do it on my own. So it's not the fastest process. I mean, it's been out for like, it came out at the end of October basically. And so I had like one month where I worked on promoting it and then it was like December. So, you know, you're doing holiday stuff and now it's, you know, January I was reading up on it. So it's back to the promotional board, I guess. What did you kind of find out? Like any like tips for others? Uh, have money, spend money on advertising. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't started yet. I've been like trying to read up on like how to get like an agency to do promotional stuff. So, um, clearly there's someone else you could talk to who's more versed in this than me, but it's also like, I think with this movie, like, you know, it's out forever now. So I think as like interest in the subject matter comes and goes as it seems to, like people will like find it and share it. And I'm also like looking forward to like, you know, people making YouTube videos about it and commenting on it. Cause I think that's kind of like how this seems like it will eventually spread as people, you know, talking about it in that respect. Cause there is like that whole like YouTube analysis infrastructure and more so than like actually promoting it. Like that's kind of like what I assume is eventually going to get at its audience is when people start talking to each other about it. So, I mean, given the subject matter, like eventually it's going to get batted around in those circles. So, yeah. What's interesting. I've been more cognizant of how, like, so I did a movie a couple years ago and this is like at least once a year, which is like not a lot, but it's not nothing. It'll play somewhere. It'll screen somewhere. And it keeps like kind of like popping up every now and then. And uh, I noticed a lot of people who had better receptions, say like played Sundance or got distributions. Like nobody ever talks about those movies anymore. Yeah. But I find myself like having to talk about this same movie over and over. And it makes me wonder if, or why a lot of filmmakers seem to just kind of give it up. Like, they, they let their film out, and then they kind of don't do anything else with it. So it just kind of, like, lives its own life, but, you know, has no particular push or anything like that. Well, I mean, ideally, you could just, like, let it out into the world, and then it would be its own thing that you don't control anymore, and that, you know, generates its own views and things like that but it is like a product that you have to push ultimately um yeah i mean with this thing like i feel like eventually i can depend on it getting like an uptick in interest around september every year in terms of that like i'm not going to use that as like a promotional thing because i would i don't know i think i'd feel like a ghoul if i did that but yeah it's tacky um but like people who are like looking for that around that time are like going to have access to it so that's like going to be a bump it's not like i'm going to like use it as an advertising gimmick though so on to new stuff what's going on what are you what are you going to do i'm kind of like trying to find a project that i want to work on basically 
Like, the temptation is to do another documentary right away because, like, I'm coming off of one and it would be easy. But I think t- unless I, like, found a subject that, like, was unique enough and, like, came naturally enough to me, uh, I can hold out on that. So I'm I'm writing narrative stuff now because I want to get back into that. But uh, while I would like to start shooting some stuff next year, I don't have anything in, like, a developed enough state to really talk about it on here. As long as we're, like, on the subject of, like, their takeaways from the film, like, what did you feel at the end of... I liked it, man. I liked it. No, I mean, it makes me think of, uh... I think about what we... When we talk about conspiracy theorists and theories and what they choose to focus on as opposed to, like, other things, like, there's no broader critique in some ways of imperialism and stuff like that, particularly with like a nine 11 thing where they're like, it's an inside job. And it's like, well, what else can we go? Like what other, where else can we go with that knowledge? And, and what can we do as opposed to kind of focusing on what they tend to focus on this, like kind of narrow view, you know? So I, I kind of think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think with anything like that, you do end up like the focus ends up being simultaneously very specific and minute and also very broad. So I think it's like you just like drown in details without, you know, knowing if they ever even add up to anything. And I think that's kind of like, you know, now where everything has its like historical side channel where it's like, you know, it's just a part of the internet at this point, but it's just like an endless swarm of details that may or may not add up to anything on every single issue. So it's like, you could you can participate in it as much as you want, but it's like, you know, you do get like stuck in it at a certain point. I find. I mean, another thing that I really appreciated about your film is is the kind of environments you show them in, and obviously you had to be there. But it's like they really there are there every weekend, and it's easy to just be like, oh, those guys are crazy or whatever. But that kind of dedication, it's just like, okay, well, if you don't like what they're doing you have to admire their dedication to it and like what can we be doing with stuff that we think is important like and what does that mean like knocking on doors helping uh the homeless volunteering somewhere and it's just like you can criticize them so much but the fact that they're like out there and actually like communicating with people um is something. And you also do think of this thing as kind of like isolating, but you show them all together. They've built this little community together. Yeah, I mean, basically you break off from like the broader populace by alienating them and then you end up in a like kind of reinforced crew, um, a like self-reinforcing crew. When you talk about like the environments that they're in, that part was interesting uh, for me. I did try to like stay wide on like a lot of the street stuff and be like kind of really show the surroundings because it's like, I am sort of mindful as to, like, how that stuff, like, is interesting in itself in documentary, like, the surroundings and the, like, area and, like, just being there at the time that they're there. Like, I guess I shoot to try to get as many, like, side things in as possible so that, like, you know, with time, like, those things end up becoming more interesting, even if it's, like, a really kind of plain shot of people on a street contemporarily, like, it becomes interesting as, like, time goes by and I was kind of mindful that I guess like I think when you deal with conspiracy stuff like it's always very like of the moment 
when you get into it, like, I guess one of the main influences that I got while I was working on this was, like, Libra by Don DeLillo, which is, like, a novel. Um, have you read it? Yeah, so it's, like, it's about the JFK assassination. It goes pretty much with, like, the broad, like, the more popular version of, like, that conspiracy. Um, but as you're, like, reading it, it's, like, it's not you're kind of getting like a view of like the society at the time. That's more interesting than like, you know, it kind of uses the conspiracy and the fact that like it draws on so many contemporary elements to kind of like really make it kind of zeitgeisty. I mean, I, you can't use the word zeitgeist in relation to conspiracies because anyway, of the documentary series, but uh, like, it's a good window into like the society at the time because you're necessarily dealing with something that like draws from all possible corners. So that was kind of like, part of my approach in making this documentary was to kind of just like, cause you can't just make the same thing. You just gotta like be observant of like what everything that you're dealing with is drawing on and like how they eventually come together. So, uh, in terms of like shooting the environments or like being in the place, like I was just kind of like my, my, I didn't like have a mantra or anything, but it was just kind of like get as many details in there as possible and kind of like let it be natural so that like and that was one of the reasons the editing took so long it's like I had all this footage and I was like waiting for any of it to like mean anything in a sense like I think if you're dealing with something that's like contemporaneous and like historically minded at the same time um you gotta just be like patient and see what like ends up being interesting or important because, like, the footage that you shot, like, a year ago looks like one thing, and then if you look at it the next year, it's, like, different things stand out. So it was kind of, like, that was sort of my approach to, like, assembling it. Where can people find your work? Uh, the film is on Amazon Prime or Rentals in the U.S. and U.K. It's uh, truth or I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and it's also on Vimeo On Demand if you are out of those territories or you don't like uh, supporting Amazon. Um, so for Vimeo On Demand, it's uh, Vimeo On Demand. Just look up Truth or Movie. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you can uh, watch it and uh, be really angry or have your mind blown or commiserate with some people that dedicated their lives to a really unpopular cause. So thank you for coming on. All right. Thanks Appreciate for having me. It. All right. See you later, Chris. Peace.